All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, speaking to you from the Borough of Queens. It is the fourth day of October 2022. And I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, I'd like to encourage you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show. Send those to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Of course, we do want to thank our sponsors, because without them, there would be no show. Our sponsors for this week, Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Gold Bull Resources, El Oro Resources, Rena Gold Corp., and Lion One Metals. The title of this week's show is Adam Taggart Assesses Global Markets. Well, Adam Taggart and Daniel McAdams return as guests today, and geologist Cherry Leiden visits for the first time. Adam Taggart is the founder of the YouTube channel Wealthion, which at latest count has around 151,000 subscribers. Wealthion provides a very valuable, uh, very valuable insights from numerous guests, many of whom are, have, are and have been guests on this show over the years Alistair McLeod, John Rubino, Daniel DiMartino Booth, uh, Rick Rule, Lynn Alden, and James Rickards, just to name a few. Adam frequently likes to start out his interviews by asking his guests what their assessment of today's economy and financial markets are. So that is a question I want to try to get uh, an answer from Adam on. He has a, the opportunity of sifting through uh, the the intellects uh, that are on his show and um, – uh, I really do enjoy his show, and uh, I'm really looking forward to see how Adam is processing all that information uh, that flows his way and that he sends out to um, those subscribers of, uh, of Wealthion. Uh, Adam is a great interviewer himself, and I would uh, really, I, I think he has the kind of interview skills that Charlie Rose had. Uh, those of you who might have been familiar with Charlie Rose agree or disagree with his politics, he was a good he was a good interviewer when he was uh, doing that, and I think Adam really uh, reaches that level, actually, in terms of his skills uh, as an interviewer. Uh, geologist Cherry Leiden will join me for the first time today to introduce a new sponsor to this show, namely Gold Bull Resources. Gold Bull already has a gold resource of around a half a million ounces of gold, uh, but most importantly, from my point of view, it's, 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 uh, it has great exploration potential. And uh, that's the reason that I own the stock and have put it in my newsletter as well. And um, given this horrible bear market up until last week when the Bank of England changed strategies and, and pivoted, um, the stock well, the stock's been selling at around five cents a share. And so 
I think this is something that uh, speculative investors might want to pay close attention to. It's really one of my favorite speculations at this point in time. Well, Cherry will join me right after our first commercial break, but right now I'm happy to tell you that uh, a friend of mine from many years ago, Daniel McAdams, is here with me again um, for the first time in a long time, though. Daniel is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. He served as foreign affairs advisor for Congressman Paul uh, from 2001 until Dr. Paul's retirement at the end of 2012. In 1990, he worked as a journalist based in Budapest, Hungary, including as editorial page editor of the uh, Budapest Sun. He also served as a special rapporteur for the British Helsinki Human Rights Group while based in Europe, monitoring human rights and elections on the ground in various contentious states, including Albania during the 1996-1998 civil unrest, Montenegro, Georgia, Armenia, Belarus, Croatia, and Slovakia. He has a Phillips Foundation journalist, Journalism Fellow. Um, he, he served there in that capacity. Uh, and uh, as an American Swiss Foundation young leader in 2006, he holds a bachelor's degree in English from the University of California at Berkeley and uh, has actually completed coursework for a master's in international relations, which, of course, he has uh, served Ron Paul in the past and is continuing to serve and work with Ron Paul at the present time. So, Daniel, I just introduced you, gave uh, our folks a little background on you, and with just about four or five minutes left here, um, I, we're, I told our listeners that we're going to have you back in a couple of weeks, so we'll have a chance to hear a lot from you then. A lot of things I want to get your your update on, but maybe just uh, with the little time that we have, tell our, our listeners uh, about the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity and, and how people can sort of keep up with it. Sure. Well, thanks very much for having me again, Jay. Um, well, last time when we used to talk pretty regularly, we were just getting started, and it was uh, – it was pretty tough getting started, and it's still very tough, obviously. When you go against the machine, when you go against the zeitgeist, it's really tough because you've got to pay the bills and you've got to expand. But we've had a great year. We're having three conferences this year. We had our Houston conference. We had one in D.C., uh, and then we're having one in, down here in Lake Jackson uh, on November 5th. Uh, it's called Shut Up, uh, Cancel Culture, and the War on Speech. So mm -hmm. this is a big deal, as you know, Jay, because um, – if you basically say something and get out of line, they cancel you. You lose your social media. You lose your ability to talk to people. Uh, you may lose your job. So we're going to explore uh, uh, that uh, in November down here in Lake Jackson. So it's just great that we've been able to do more things. And I think since we've been talking regularly, Dr. Paul and I do the daily Ron Paul Liberty Report live at noon Eastern time on Rumble. So Every day we're doing that. On Friday, Chris Rossini is with Dr. Paul just doing economics issues. Mm. So uh, we're okay. expanding what we do, and we're just excited about it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's even worse than getting canceled. You're sometimes called a racist or a seditionist, I guess. If you, if you stand up for the Constitution, the right of free speech, uh, you insist on your right to be heard, uh, and and then you're, you know, you're, you're uh, considered to be... Um, what is the term they used for January 6th? Um, yeah, insurrectionist. <laughs> an insurrectionist where there were no guns involved. I've, I, I always wondered how that could be an insurrection, because if there really was an insurrection, you'd have thought there'd be some well-trained people running into the, into, the, uh, into the Congress with machine guns instead of flagpoles and uh, 
and, and Trump signs, but I don't know. I, I don't get it, I guess. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, no, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. you're right. Um, yeah, because we just don't have much time, but I would just ask you to, you, you know, you, you were involved in ferreting out elections in tough places in the past. Um, I don't know exactly how you did that, but how do you see in election integrity in the United States now, you know, where it seems as though this was supposed to be the place where everybody trusted. Everybody thought this was the beacon of, of freedom and democracy in the United States and fair elections. And so Jimmy Carter and others went around the world to help people do what we do so well in the United States. But it seems as though people aren't trusting our elections so much anymore. What are your thoughts? I think it is a big problem. And, you know, I don't know the specifics of what happened, but I certainly don't believe that our last election was clean. Uh, you know, a lot of people made assertions as to what may have happened. But I do know there's a lot as an election, a former election observer myself, when you go to bed with one with one result and the next morning you wake up and it's flipped upside down. That's a massive red flag. You know, I yeah. mean, the the old fashioned I, I, I've gone to many, many vote counts overseas, the old fashioned way where you dump out a barrel of ballots. You have observers from all the political parties there, and you count them in everyone's presence. Everyone signs off, uh, signs off on the process for ball, and it's all done. You can easily do that. I don't know why we've got to such an amazingly complicated system that nobody, there's no transparency whatsoever. There's no record of your vote. We need to have a serious rethink about the whole process. And I don't mean nationalizing elections, because I think that would also be another disaster. Right. Well, they nationalize them and make everybody do the same thing. And, uh, you know, I, I did I was involved a long time ago in a congressional election in Manhattan when I lived there um, for the Republican candidate uh, Green. And I was a you know, I, I was there to count the votes. And, you know, we had the old fashioned um, polls, uh, um, election machines that we that were mechanical. They weren't digital, of course, at that time. And there was a paper trail of every single voter that went through there. And you know, you the the Democrat and myself, we we were there and we we talked and we went over the numbers and agreed on them, and that was it. I mean, it was pretty simple. So I I don't know um, why things have to be so complicated, but I guess there's somebody. Somebody behind it, whatever the reasons are, and maybe we can uh, talk with you more about that, Have learn more from you about that in the future, or so many other topics that I really want to pick your brains on. We're going to have you back um, on uh, two weeks from today, I believe it is, Daniel, if you're available, uh, to uh, give us some insights in, your, into geopolitics, which is really your, your bailiwick. So I, I look forward to, uh, to having you back then in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks so much. Take care. I look forward to talking to you soon. All righty. Okay, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Cherry Leiden will be with me. Um, she's the CEO of Gold Bull Resources. That's a new sponsor to this show. It's a recommendation in my newsletter, and it's uh, a company that I personally own shares in as well. Uh, I think it's a very exciting story, even though, obviously, the market doesn't think so. It's selling at less than five cents a share. Well, we'll be right back with Cherry Leiden to uh, let us know let you know why that's probably a mistake on the market's part. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. 
Lion One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have Cherry Leiden with me for the first time. Cherry is the CEO of Gold Bowl Resources. Um, she has a bachelor's in science and uh, an MAIG. I'm not sure what that is. She's Australian, so maybe she can explain that to me. Previously, at Re, uh, she was at Rio Tinto and Lion Ore. Cherry has 20 years of experience uh, proudly promoting a responsible mining industry. The past 10 years uh, as at the CEO level, she was a founder and former CEO of Battery Minerals, as well as founder of a private natural resource project generation company, NV Resources, and local director uh, for Hog Ranch Minerals, Inc., uh, formerly uh, Rex Minerals Limited. Cherry has been uh, Nevada Gold-focused and based there for the past five years. She has a track record of negotiating and executing win-win business transactions with Fortune 500 companies, so she's played in the big leagues. Uh, I can tell you that Gold Bull Resources is a stock that I purchased from my personal account in the market a few, uh, several weeks back, um, and when I learned about it uh, from Cherry at a Metals Investor Forum, event in Vancouver. It is also a stock that is covered in my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. The, uh, before I say hello to Cherry, uh, I should tell you that the shares trade in, uh, in Canada under the symbol GBRC. You can buy them in the States as I have under GBRCF. There's 98.3 million shares out there and less than five, mil- five cents a share, for goodness sakes. I purchased mine at twice that price. Um, so it's got a market cap of less than $5 million. So, uh, you know, either this company is grossly undervalued uh, and you stand to make a huge profit or somebody is just not not adding – things don't add up. Let's put it that way. Uh, thank you for joining me, Cherry. Thank you, Jay. It's a pleasure to be on your show. 
It's really good to have you, and um, um, it's really great to hear that Australian accent as well. Um, I've been just looking at your bio, um, you're, so your Bachelor's of Science uh, and MAIG, what is that? What kind of a degree is that? I'm not familiar. Uh, that, that is a member of the Australian Institute of Geoscientists, which basically All right. is a, a measure, measure of credibility. Okay, very good. Well, uh, my ignorance is cured in that regard. Thank you for, for, for helping me out with that. Um, well, anyway, um, I'm so glad you could join us today. Unlike most other exploration stories talked about on this show and companies covered in, this, uh, in my newsletter, you guys actually have a resource, and I, about, I think it's 433,000 ounces in the indicated category and another 61,000 or so in the inferred category. And recently, you completed an economic scoping study. Can you share with our listeners the results of that study? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Well, as you mentioned, today we're essentially valued as an exploration company with no gold resource, no permits, no scoping study. So um, we feel that we're in deep bargain territory because we purchased the project from Newmont in December of 2020. It came with over $20 million worth of data and about $10 million in addition to that worth of permits and permitting surveys. And, um, and since we acquired the project, we've drilled 57 holes for 11,000 metres. We've grown the resource by 60% since we acquired the project. And a couple of weeks ago, we put out some scoping study numbers, which is essentially a, a pre- preliminary economic assessment or a PEA. Uh-huh. And in that study, we, we only looked at half our resource. So we only looked at 250,000 ounces above the water table, literally sitting at the surface gold. And we, um, we looked at a study that would mine 35,000 ounces per annum. And that study has produced an incredible IRR, IRR of 99%. Um, $77 million NPV and with a relatively low capex of $28 million with a one-year payback. So for us, that just put some numbers uh, on the project. And when you've got a $5 million market cap, we didn't previously have any economics. And that was basically to illustrate, look, this is the economics just looking at 250,000 ounces. We think we've just scratched the surface here. But even at the current uh, resource, this project should get a re-rate. Yeah, I mean, I even though I guess the seventy-seven million NPV is in Canadian dollars, it's that's fifty million dollars or something like that in U.S. money um, uh, that compared that is to U.S. Sorry, Jay, that that, that is, oh, it is. USD, oh, seventy-seven oh, okay, million. Okay, okay, yeah. Oh, even better. So uh, anyway, you got a seventy-seven million dollar uh, NPV from this study. Your market cap is five million. And you have $20 million worth of data from Newmont that you, that, that you acquired with the purchase of this project from Newmont. Of course, that, you know, those are, okay, um, that gives you a lot of, a lot of intellectual, um, a, a lot of intelligence about how you're going to explore and develop this, um, uh, this project. Can you talk, well, I guess maybe before you talk about the exploration, uh, what are your thoughts then with regard to this this economic study. Are you thinking of, of actually putting it into production, generating cash flow that can be used for uh, extensive exploration work, or, or what are what is the, uh, the what is the strategy? All right. So the next step is to finish the PEA, which is uh, the refiner reports due in a few weeks. Then our board's going to meet to make a call on exactly that, because for us the end game certainly isn't you know small scale thirty five thousand ounce grain operation. No. However, it's also quite attractive that, you know, you could potentially be printing $20 million profit per annum that you could reinvest in exploration. 
rather than continually negotiate the market and dilute our shareholders. So we're going to have that debate at the board level and there's pros and cons of both. But for us, it would be very much a stepping stone to essentially self-fund um, the grander exploration story and certainly not the end game. Well, I understand that this is a relatively simple project. Uh, it's, I, I, I presume, it's, mm-hmm. I believe it's all oxides. It's right on the surface, you say, exactly. even that above the water table. Uh, you probably, I don't know, I mean, you, you know as well as I that so many little junior mining companies that try to go into production stub their toe. They have a lot of trouble. Um, you know, what's the confidence level, and maybe this is the kind of thing that your board will be talking about, what's the confidence level that you could actually make this thing fly and generate that kind of cash flow, you know, really make it happen, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I'd say we have a high degree of confidence. Um, The next step would obviously be a more detailed feasibility study to answer some of the uncertainties. However, this Mm -hmm. CEA was based on over 2,000 drill holes. Um, There's much more data on this project than your average junior courtesy of Newmont going in there and doing the world-class environmental studies and hydrogeological studies. So a lot of the expensive and long lead baseline surveys have been done. So um, oh. mm-hmm. this, this, is ve- this is very much a conventional heat leach processing, as you mentioned, all oxide, all sitting at the surface, very low strip ratio, 1.6 to 1. So it, it's really essentially like a little quarry operation. Um, and then you put, the, you put the rock on the heat leach and you extract the gold. So there's nothing really complex about it. Um, it's just more of a matter, um, the question is going to be more, is this a distraction to the bigger story or is this going to be the enabler um, to allow us to effectively explore and, and get a multi-million ounce deposit? And, and um, you know, I, I've started up small-scale operations in the past and they have led to the bigger picture. And um, I've also seen other companies where you know, it's a distraction because while you're um, starting that up, you're not really focused on the multi-million ounce discovery. So there's, there's certainly pros and cons to both. Uh-huh. And the board will be debating both scenarios. Yeah. What about permitting uh, in terms of getting this into production? I know Nevada's not the worst. It's not necessarily the easiest either. But uh, did you say anything about, I, I mean, you don't, you'd have to go through permitting process to, to do the heat, the leach pads and all that, right? Yeah, we believe we could permit under what's under called an EA versus an EIS. And that's because we'll have a small footprint of less, much less than 600 acres. And Uh the reason why we focused only on 250,000 ounces was because that's all well above the water table and it's all 100% oxide. So when you stay above the water table, that also makes permitting easy. um, There's no pit lakes and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. we believe that the the permitting will be rapid for a small-scale operation. Um, I wouldn't say a large-scale operation is rapid in Nevada, but uh, based on experience, small-scale operations above the water table with a small service to servant. We don't have any non-environmental sensitivities or any cultural sensitivities, courtesy of all those surveys. And we know where our water table is, again, courtesy of the, the Newmont Hydro data. So I do believe um, getting this thing up and running into operation would be quick, um, circa you know, one year from a permitting um, time frame guess point. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess most importantly then, uh, you indicated you've had some experience in putting small-scale um, projects into production. Uh, maybe you could just very quickly go over your management team and, and advisors that you have. And also then, while you're on that topic, uh, with respect to one of your advisors, the geology, as I recall, uh, is considered very similar to the sleeper, uh, the sleeper project, um, the sleeper mine, the gold mine that I was had something to do with as a lender many, many years ago, uh, not far from you. 
uh, where your project is. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about what you see the potential for exploration on this project, and mm-hmm. also just yeah. touch on your ma- on your touch on your management team? Sure, I'll start with our our management team. Uh, we're led by our chairman Craig Parry, and, and Craig uh, Craig and I used to work at Rio Tinto together about twenty years ago now. And Craig has just been involved with a number of serial successes uh, recently, um, next-gen uranium, ISO energy, Skeena, and the list goes on. He's, he's, um, he's really done well for himself, um, relocated to Vancouver, and uh, is head of Inventor Capital now. So Craig, Craig is the chairman, and uh, I'm the CEO. I'm also ex-Rio Tinto, and um, after mm-hmm. working for Rio Tinto, I've worked for a number of mid-tier companies and also founded a number of listed entities. Uh, a couple of the projects that I've been involved with over the years are now uh, producing assets. And our um, our technical team are also ex-majors, either BHP or Rio Tinto. And mm-hmm. we're essentially a big company, big deposit mindset people uh, working you know, essentially on a shoestring uh, without the bureaucracy of a big company, trying to find world-class deposits in Nevada. We feel like the U.S. is vastly underexplored given the mineral wealth and we specialize in finding deposits undercover, so essentially Australian IP deployed on, on U.S. soil. And um, it, we've, we've been over here for a couple of years. I, I relocated to, to Nevada about five years ago, and uh, our board has also got a wealth of experience. We've also got the, um, the CEO of Skeena, Walt Coles, on our board, and what mm-hmm. they've achieved at SK Creek um, is essentially what we're trying to replicate over here um, in, in Nevada uh, from an advisory perspective, we're really blessed to have people like John Wood uh, assisting us. John discovered Sleeper, and Sleeper um, is just up the road. It's about uh, 20 miles north of Sandman, and it was one of the highest grade deposits ever mined in the state. And we've got very similar rocks, very similar geology, and John's recognized that, and he's advising us essentially where to put our drill holes, looking for a multi-million ounce uh, high-grade Sleeper gold discovery. We've also got another um, independent expert named Simon Meldrum, who's another epithermal expert. And both these chaps have looked at a lot of epithermal projects all over the world, and they're both saying Sandman needs more holes. There's more gold to be found. Essentially, the more you drill, the more ounces you'll define. Uh, so we, we, um, we're certainly listening to our independent advisors, such as John and, John and Simon. And uh, in addition to those chaps, we do have other experts with respect to permitting and, and government relations, such as Gov- uh, Debbie Strusacker in Nevada. All right. Uh, we're just about out of time, but I want to ask you about financing. Uh, you're going to need to raise some money, no doubt, I think. And will well, there be opportunities opportunities mm-hmm. for accredited investors? Absolutely. So I would encourage accredited investors to sign up for our mailing list. Uh, so that way they'll be the first to know when we're about to do a financing and they can get in touch with our company directly um, to get involved. Uh, when, when, when we do our next financing, where there are no immediate plans to do financing, we have um, we have cash in the bank at the moment, and we're not currently um, come raise. Uh, we, we think the market's pretty weak right now and, and very very much undervalued. So there's no financing imminent, but please do sign up on our mailing list, goldbull.ca, and um, you'll be the first to know about future financings. Well, I guess you are undervalued just based on the metrics that we talked about. Um, assuming those that uh, that economic study turns out to be accurate, and I guess you'll be doing a little more in-depth work in that regard. But uh, Cherry, it's really really looks like a great opportunity. I mean, this is uh, it's not unusual for junior mining companies that are that have great management teams um, to you know to to make people a lot of money, and of course that's what 
uh, that's what we're, we try to do with our sponsors in this show. I want to thank you so much. Well, maybe just in closing, people should then just, what should they be watching for? Do you have any more exploration results coming or, or anything else that might be in the news anytime soon? We have our PEA due in a few more weeks, so that will um, go through okay. our economics in a lot more detail. And, mm-hmm. you know, for we, we need a shift in the gold sentiment. We saw just the bounce yesterday, like just a small yes. shift in gold sentiment, I think is going to make the biggest difference in our industry um, because mm-hmm. that's really what's taken our market cap down in the last uh, six months. So uh, I'm, I'm bullish on gold, and I think when we see that shift in gold sentiment, you're going to see the companies that have existing ounces in the ground uh, will be the ones that re-rate first. So fingers crossed that the gold has a rally, and um, in the meantime, we're also looking at friendly M&A activity to roll up other undervalued gold assets out mm-hmm. um, with, a, with a Nevada focus. All right. Very good. Well, thank you, um, Cherry. We'll have to leave it go at that, but we'll look to keep up with his story as it unfolds. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot for your time, Jay. You bet. All right, folks, we have to go to break now, but don't go away because Adam Taggart will be with me. He's the host of and founder of Wealthian YouTube channel. A very popular site, and uh, we'll hear what Adam has to say about his view on the markets, so don't go away. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Adam Taggart with us once again. He is the founder of Wealthion YouTube channel. It's a very popular channel. I think there's something like, I don't know, um, 
a lot of a lot of subscribers there. I, I can't remember the number, but it's it's grown well over I think 160,000 or something like that. Adam has uh, been on this show a, a couple of times in the past. Uh, he is. Uh, has a great background, uh, a strong educational background, having degrees from Brown and Stanford. Uh, he's worked on Wall Street uh, with Merrill Lynch. He is uh, also very much a, a great educator, which is why he's doing so well with his Wealthy on YouTube channel in helping people understand the markets. You know, average people, people that don't have time to be in this stuff day in and day and night, all the time, 24-7. Uh, but his guests are, are among the best in the world, among the best independent thinkers in the world. Uh, and I think his uh, Wealthy on YouTube channel, if you haven't checked it out, you certainly should do so. Um, so with very little time, I want to welcome Adam right away. Thanks for joining me today, Adam. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, Jay. Let's see if I can uh, live up to that very nice introduction you just gave. Well, I have no doubt that you will. And, um, and, and if you don't, we're going to have people tuning into your channel uh, because there, I mean, it's just incredible. Your guests are just great. But more than that, I think you're, you're a great interviewer. And I, I, I think that I, in my mind, you're, you're as good as Charlie Rose. Um, so I, now um, let's see if you can live up to that. I don't, <laughs> we're not, Ho no, hopefully, no. hopefully Charlie Rose minus the sex scandals. Yes, I wasn't thinking about that. I'm not not putting you in the same in, the, in that category at all, Adam. I don't know you personally that well, but I don't I don't suspect that you are anyway. Enough said. Um, you, um, yeah. I mean, what, what is your your subscriber count now? I think I was losing track. My memory isn't so good at age 75. But it's yeah, you were in the ballpark. If I round up, um, yeah. we're at about 100, almost at 156,000 subscribers on YouTube right now. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We've been around for a little bit over a year, so yeah. we have seen a lot of really good growth in that time. Um, and and as you said, Jay, you know the the purpose of the channel is is twofold. It's it's to give regular people access to the insights of the world's top experts on money in the market. So I, I interview these great independent thinkers that you were mentioning. And, and then we try to help people, uh, we, try, we try to put their insights into, you know, regular speak so that average mm -hmm. people can understand them. Mm -hmm. And then we try to, when we can, give people actionable solutions to go consider mm -hmm. uh, because information by itself isn't useful unless no. you actually put it towards something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do a very good job a lot of times with the you know technical jargon that you ask the the guests to, uh, or you clarify yourself what what in fact they're talking about so that people can understand. Uh, so just tell people before we get started here, what where can they go to sign up? I can get on your mailing list for Wealthy, and then they can be advised as to who your next guests are, right? Yes, if, if they get on the mailing list uh, every day, we we do five to six um, videos a week, um, and uh, so almost every day, people are getting an email with the latest video that we put out. But the company name is Wealthion, and that's spelled Wealth I O N. And um, if you want to actually see our videos, probably the best place to go is YouTube.com/Wealthion, and um, if you want to subscribe there, it's free. Uh, YouTube will alert you every time we put out a new video. And you do have some services or pay for services. I think you just had a conference or two uh, that people can sign up for as well. 
Uh, we do. It's actually highly rare that we do anything for free. Um, what's, uh, sorry, highly rare that we do anything that costs money. Uh. <laughs> um, we, we structured the company so that we could give away almost all of the content for free almost all the time. But twice a year, we do do a big event where on, on a single day, uh, we get a bunch of speakers together and they present and then they field live Q&A from the audience. So we just did that uh, a week and a half ago. And uh, shameless plug, if, if folks are interested in purchasing the replay videos to that, uh, they can just go to wealthion.com slash conference and you can see all the speakers, you can see the agenda. And if that's something you like, well, then you can get those replay videos. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. Well, uh, let's focus on the markets uh, then, uh, which is what you do mostly on Wealthion. One of the first people on my show to suggest that Chairman Powell would not be pivoting monetary policy anytime soon was David Stockman, because he said that the Fed is scared to death about the populace coming after them with torches and pitchforks. <laughs> then soon after that, uh, and more recently, you have had uh, some discussions with Daniel DiMartino Booth suggesting that Chairman Powell was likely going to hang tough against pressures to kick the can down the road one more time to alleviate the pain that was bound to follow this tough monetary policy. And more recently, I saw an interview, I actually did see an interview, thanks to your interview with Danielle, in which she interviewed another person that you've had on your show, Lacey Hunt, a former senior Federal Reserve economist who seemed also to suggest that the Fed was bound to stand firm no matter how much pain uh, to bring inflation down. Do you think, if I characterize the views of both of those, both uh, Daniel D. Martino Booth and, and Lacey Hunt correctly, in your view? You, you have, yes. And actually, another shameless plug, uh, Lacey was one of the speakers at our conference uh, the mm -hmm. other weekend. So I actually have got some very fresh perspective from him. Um, for those that don't know Lacey, Lacey, uh, I mean, he's a he's a uh, incredibly respected um, economist in his own right. He was a senior economist for the Federal Reserve for many years. He knew people like Milton Friedman and Paul Volcker personally. Um, he now runs a very successful bond fund. Um, but Lacey has long been concerned about um, the deflationary problems that, that we face. And uh, I've interviewed him for years. That's always been his big fear. Um, now he has changed his tune slightly. Not that he's still not worried about the, the larger deflationary issue, but um, inflation has come to the forefront. And, and he's basically said the Fed's priority number one, two, and three right now um, has to be getting inflation under control. And, and knowing people at the Fed personally the way that he does, he is quite confident that that is their priority, number one, two, and three. Uh, Danielle, who also used to work for the Fed, she was an advisor to Richard Fisher at the Dallas Fed. Um, she believes that Jerome Powell is, uh, is, is lashed to the wheel the same way that Lacey thinks he mm -hmm. is. But, but that Powell's objective right now um, is to basically negate the, uh, the, the market's faith in the Fed put. Mm -hmm. um, for the past decade plus, um, the mantra for most investors has been, hey, don't fight the Fed, right? right. The Fed's got your back. If, if anything bad happens, the Fed's going to step in. They're going to, you know, basically uh, add enough stimulus to get things goosed back up again so our losses will turn into more gains. Uh, and the, the market is still at this point, um, you know, at any chance it can get, especially even as we're talking, Jay, we've, we, the, yep. the markets have jumped 6% <laughs> since yesterday's open. Um, they are still pricing in uh, a Fed rescue 
here. And Danielle thinks that the market is is holding on to a false hope here, or, or maybe understandably, it's holding on to a hope that the Fed has trained it to have, but now Powell is trying to untrain it. Yeah. Uh, well, and I mean, it's just really difficult to, uh, in my view, to know which way it's going, but I, but what it seems to be common here with, uh, you know, Danielle and uh, Lacey Hunt and, and David Stockman as well, they're all pretty well at one time or another were connected to government, and and David, of course, was always um, a fiscal conservative. I would say it didn't go along with the supply siders uh, in the Reagan administration, uh, and uh, you know, I mean, I was really, frankly, quite shocked when David said. Uh, you know, talked about the, uh, you know, the torches and pitchforks and that they're really afraid of that. I, I guess the pain of inflation, I mean, when you think about it, uh, inflation, hyperinflation especially, destroys everything, destroys everything in its path and almost everyone in its path. So you could understand, I, I, I just wonder if maybe to a certain extent, this is getting a little bit ahead of myself perhaps and what I wanted to ask you, um, a different viewpoint uh, to all of that, of course, comes from people like Alistair McLeod and Simon Hunt. Uh, they're sort of a, the opinion uh, that we're going to see, uh, a, you know, demolition of, of the currency. That in fact, the uh, Powell and others won't be able to stand firm no matter what. Um, do you think it's possible that the Federal Reserve, people like um, our, the chairman, for example, might actually? see what Alistair and Simon Hunt are seeing, the possibility of a demise of the U.S. dollar and a, and a, a chance of losing uh, the U.S. losing dollar hegemony? Um, I, I, I think so. Um, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak for Alistair and Simon, which is a bad thing to do. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't think the, the Federal Reserve officials see it as dire as uh, – Perhaps Simon and Alistair mm. do see, see the U.S.'s situation um, right. specifically as dire as U.S. as Alistair and, and Simon do, and a big part of that is Brent Johnson's dollar milkshake theory. And I'm I'm, I'm guessing you, you may have had Brent on your show before, Jay. And if you have, I have not, before. and I would like you to explain the the, the dollar milkshake theory because I'm not right. familiar with it. It's one of a few of your shows I haven't seen. Okay, and for me, this has been probably the most explanatory framework. Um, for me personally and understanding how 2022 has worked out. Mm -hmm. But basically it's that um, as, uh, you know, trouble generally, economic trouble generally manifests, um, uh, you know, worse outside the U.S. Uh, the old expression, if the U.S. Uh, gets the sniffles, the rest of the world gets pneumonia. Right. Right. And um, so, so many company, uh, sorry, um, uh, you know, right right now with the the um, the, the strength of the dollar, um, mm -hmm. yeah, it was we've seen it's it's been a juggernaut versus yep. all other fiat currencies so far yep. this year, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, the Japanese yen's down something like forty percent versus the dollar over the past year. Uh, the the pound is basically almost back to parity, which it hasn't has hardly ever been in history. Uh, the mm -hmm. euro is is now uh, one to one with the dollar. Um, and, and one thing to remember is we, we, we worry about the Federal Reserve increasing its balance sheet and increasing the supply of, of the domestic currency base. Right. Um, but what most people don't understand is that there is a whole other market of dollars out there in the world. Mm -hmm. It's called the euro dollar market. 
Yes. And, and it's, it's poorly named because it really means dollars that are held outside of the US, it's not just specific to Europe. Um, and those dollars are created similar to how dollars are many most dollars are created inside the US. They're actually created by the banking system when a foreign bank makes a loan to another foreign entity that is dollar denominated. Mm-hmm. And what happens is 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 back to sort of when the US gets uh, the sniffles and the rest of the world catches pneumonia, when we start having um, uh, a global slowdown, when we start having trouble in the global economy, um, it's the weaker players that feel it first. Um, these weaker players usually are borrowing in dollars mm-hmm. uh, on the euro dollar market. And um, as they start uh, struggling uh, to repay their debts um, and their debts start uh, potentially going into default, um, it, it creates a global shortage of dollars and it right. increases the demand for dollars, which further pushes the price of the dollar up on a relative basis versus other currency, which then actually makes these players even weaker because if they've got to repay their dollar-denominated debt and the dollar is strengthening, mm-hmm. well, they need to get more of their local currency to convert into dollars to pay that, that back. So it begins to kind of create this, this vicious cycle. And so as, as, as the global economy and financial system begins to get rocky and, and, and global markets start to weaken, well, then capital starts fleeing for safety. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have the dollar going up versus other currencies, but you also have capital going out of the rest of the world into the U.S. Uh-huh. Uh, seeking either a better returns or b just greater safety, usually parked in long dated treasuries. And so um, getting back to your original question, um, I, I, I think I, I think perhaps, um, you know, the 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 loss of the purchasing, uh, the loss of the reserve currency status mm-hmm. is not at the top of the list of the J-PALs of the world. Mm-hmm. They're, they're much more concerned in the short term about one, getting inflation under control. Like I said, that's sort of priority one, two, and three for, for them right now. Mm-hmm. The other risk or threat that they have in their mind, though, is financial instability. And mm-hmm. that, that risk is beginning to grow here. And essentially what that means is the Fed can tighten but it has to be careful how it does it, because if it tightens too much, too fast, it can break something systemic, and then we might have a bigger problem on our hands. And something systemic could be like you know what we had during the, the Lehman collapse back in uh, the, the, great, the global financial crisis back in 2008, where the contagion threatened to spill into the banking system, and we were worried for a moment that our banks might not work. Mm-hmm. But more recently, we just saw a really good example of this just last week right. in the UK, when the Bank of England was forced to basically reverse its its policy of tightening to try to control inflation, and it had to rescue uh, the bond market there, which basically was in the process of meltdown, and it was going to take all of the uh, UK pensions along with it. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that, again, that was a turning point for our markets here last week. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's like investors who are, you know, they're still looking for the Fed pivot. Uh, As soon as there's some hint that things are going wrong or that the Fed, the the central banks, they assume that the Bank of England pivoted, that probably other banks will pivot. I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden uh, risk is on again. Last week, uh, following the BOE's, I mean, gold has just taken off and silver has taken off and even more so. And, you know, stocks, I mean, look at the market today again. It's just incredible. Uh, the Dow's up 790 points almost right now. And, and you know, the rest of them, 
So this is what though what Powell is trying to 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 fix, right? The notion that the Fed will always be there with easy money to bail people out as soon as things start to go south, bail equity holders out. This is what we're. This is what Powell is trying to trying to cure. Exactly. So what we're sort of seeing over the past forty eight hours is is evidence that the monster that the Fed created uh, and is now trying to slay uh, isn't dead yet. Right. right. Where um, it, it is, it, it's it, well. There's a couple of things that have gone on. To be honest here, you know, one things got pretty oversold in the markets. They were probably due for some sort of short term bounce anyways. You had a lot of rebalancing at the end of Q3. Now funds can go out and buy again. But then, of course, we had, you know, what happened last week with the, the, the Bank of England. And, and you're right that the market is is taking bad news as good news, which is, oh, this means that the Fed may actually have to uh, go back to quantitative easing sooner than expected. So, hey, let's try to front run that. Right. So the irony here is, is the stronger the market rallies, the more blue sky Powell has to keep on tightening. Yeah. Because as, as a lot of people are saying, and I, I personally believe this to be true, the, the Fed wants to tighten for as, as, as much as it can for as long as it can before it has to worry about um, uh, financial instability. And if the markets are in rally mode, well, they're not broken. So mm -hmm. the Fed doesn't have to worry about them. It, it gives it more leeway to actually be tighter and tougher. So mm -hmm. by rallying here, the markets are actually pushing off the event that they're trying to anticipate. <laughs> That's kind of funny in a way, but uh, not so funny is how do we navigate this? Uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, you know, I think Alistair and Simon Hunt are of the belief that ultimate, ultimately Powell will have to cave, that he will cave. In fact, Alistair sent me something. Well, this is a tweet from Alistair earlier today. Bear squeeze in everything recently shorted could be a turning point. Global banking system fragility encourages the Fed will soft pedal on rates to protect financial system over the dollar. That was John Law's choice in 1720. Total collapse of the currency ensued. Uh, end of quote from Alistair McLeod. So that's his thinking. And I think Simon Hunt's thinking. And the two of them are working together. Um, on a paper I heard Simon Hunt tell you recently. Uh, both of them believe that the currency alternative that's being put forth by Russia and, uh, and China, I, I think they both believe that, that it will prevail and the U.S. dollar is in big trouble. But obviously there's, you know, difference of opinion. This is one, one of the things that makes your show so, so important, I think, is that you do allow different ideas to be spread to be uh, to be put forth, and then people can can make up their own minds. Uh, where do you come down on this, Al? You know what I wanted to ask you, um, Adam, was uh, the question you always start asking your guests, and I think in a way you kind of you've kind of answered it um, with with the time we have. We we only have my my engineer says two minutes, so okay. I uh, can give you my two minute answer though to it if you like. Okay, very good. Go ahead, do that. All right. So, yeah, I, I do ask all my guests to sort of kick off the discussion. What's their current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Here, here's mine in a nutshell from talking to perhaps as many people as, as Jay talks to as well. Well, um, more than I have, I must say. You're just well, incredible. Yeah. Well, collectively, we talk to a lot. Here's, here's yeah. the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Um, I don't want to have too much time to explain all this, but uh, my confidence is high that we are headed into a global recession. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't see any way that we avoid that. Um, I think that we are currently, despite the rally over the past uh, 48 hours, 
Uh, I think we're in a bear market that's playing out pretty much in the classic trajectory of a bear market, and we still have a far, fair ways to go until we find the bottom. Probably won't bottom until at some point in 2023. This is the bursting of the everything bubble that the central banks have blown over the past 12 years. So it's it's a re, it's a downwards repricing of stocks, bonds, real estate. I think the jobs market is going to roll over. I think we're going to be sadly, you know, going into a recession that's going to have millions of of lost jobs along with it as well. So I think right now, as an investor, uh, you are best served by being defensive. Uh, that's things like cash, short-term U.S. Treasuries, precious metals, um, and then maybe you know begin to dollar-cost average um, into some of the assets that should do well when the market does bottom, or and or when the Fed is forced to pivot. I will say, Jay, most of the people that I interview kind of agree with the Simons and uh, and Alistair's out there that. Uh, the central banks will be forced to pivot due to financial instability. Um, and so those are things like long uh, long government bonds, um, hard asset producers, uh, and, and you know good cash flowing, good dividend paying value stocks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's about as concise as I can be. That's excellent. That's that's really wonderful. Thank you so much for those insights. and I think uh, you summed it up very well. And I would just uh, also mention, uh, you had you interviewed um, trying to um, Pedro da Costa, I think his name is. Is that right? Do I have that right? This morning? Yes, yes. And, he's he's uh, a well-respected uh, Fed journalist. Yeah, very, very good. And I would highly recommend people listen to that. And also your weekly interviews um, uh, that you do uh, also uh, sort of sums up the week with um, with uh, Lance Roberts. Lance Roberts. Thank you. It was a uh, lot of fun. I think I think the most practical guest that you have for for investors on a regular basis. Uh, is Lance Roberts. So uh, I want to thank you so much, Adam, for, for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy. I want to thank you also for the wonderful work that you're doing in helping people navigate these troubled waters. It's really great to have you. It's been a pleasure, Jay, and I'm a big fan of yours as well. Thank you so much. Okay, folks, well, that is it for this week. Next week, Alistair McLeod will be back. Uh, Dr. Quentin Henning will join me as well to talk about a very exciting uh, exploration results that were just put out this morning by Lion One. Uh, medals and Michael Oliver will join me as well next week. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.